Welcome back, everyone, to Understanding Climate Finance. My name is Fahim Nurali, and I'm the Climate Finance Trade Commissioner based out of the Embassy of Canada in Washington, D.C. I'm joined by my colleague, Rachel Soares, who is the Climate Finance Trade Commissioner based out of the High Commission for Canada in London. So, hi, Rachel. Hi, everyone. Pleased to be joining you again as a co-host. So one of the challenges we see with many of our Canadian clients is what is known, I guess to some people, as the missing middle problem. We see a ton of great Canadian solutions for climate mitigation that can make a strong impact, but accessing financing at scale proves challenging because of a lack of track record or visibility to the, to the right investors. This is further exasperated by you know, local policies in developing countries where they would like to work but not really able to access some of the financial instruments that will help bring down the cost of capital enough to make the projects viable. So this is where our guest today is the Climate Finance Accelerator is looking to address this through their innovative approach to technical assistance. So I'm going to turn it over to Rachel to expand on this and introduce our guest, Ian Callahan from CFA. Thanks, Fahim. So being based in the UK, I feel fortunate to be speaking about a program that's funded by the UK Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, especially a program such as the CFA, the Climate Finance Accelerator, that's looking to develop a sustainable pipeline of bankable, low-carbon projects. Our guest, Ian Callahan, will delve more into the offering of the CFA, so I won't say any more on that subject. Ian has focused on impact investing and climate finance for many years now and is the originator of the Climate Finance Accelerator concept. He now advises the UK government on the CFA program, heads his own consultancy, Ian Callahan Associates, and is a senior advisor at Consulum Capital, a London-based corporate finance advisor focused on sustainable investments, mainly into emerging markets. Ian, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Rachel, for the invitation, and and Fahim, great to be speaking with you. Yeah, as 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 you said, the CFA is a technical assistance program which is now operating in eight emerging markets around the world, all of them larger markets and larger emitters. We'll probably be adding a ninth country, but at present, the eight are South Africa, Nigeria, and Egypt in Africa, Colombia, Mexico, and Peru in Latin America, and Pakistan and Turkey and Asia kind of broadly defined. So, you know, they, they, those are the markets that we're trying to address. And, and, and part of the reason we went for those is that they all have relatively sophisticated private sectors and private finance sectors. So we felt that, you know, there was something to work with there in terms of trying to bring together project developers and entrepreneurs with finance providers. But also in a number of those markets, you see development finance institutions present. And so there's the opportunity to also talk about blended finance and, you know, new financing techniques along, along those. So the way, the, the way the CFA works is that we look at three main groups of stakeholders. So firstly, there's the people looking for money, the project developers and entrepreneurs who have projects and businesses they want to develop and, and get finance for. Secondly, the finance providers who are looking for interesting investment opportunities. And in all of these markets, there's plenty of money. There's just not a great deal of visibility, as you were saying, for he, at, the, at the outset of you know money to projects and projects to money. And then the third set of stakeholders is policymakers, because obviously the, the enabling environment is very important also in these countries. So what we do is we um, 
typically issue calls for proposals. We get responses to those. We pick a cohort of projects that we want to work with. We develop their capacity in a number of ways, and then we put them in front of groups of finance providers that are sort of carefully chosen to be of, of relevance to the projects and businesses that we're working with. And typically, the end of that process is a two to three day workshop, which is very intensive and hopefully leaves the projects much better developed than they were to begin with, and which has also introduced them to potential finance providers. But another thing that comes out of that is that quite often we can talk to policymakers about real life barriers that these projects are facing and offer them kind of recommendations and thoughts on how they can change things within, you know, regulation or whatever it may be to improve the enabling environment for, for the future. That's great. And I, I think selfishly, I'm going to put in a plug for, for a prior podcast where we talk about this, where we did a four-part series, which was a webinar where we talked about the supply of capital, the demand mm-hmm. of capital. So we talked to project developers, supply of capital, we talked to funders, and then we had a policy component. And, and the reason I bring that up is because those three really need to work in concert, right? Well, how do you how do you make that bridge possible? And I think policy and innovative finance can do that. And it sounds like this is what, what you're doing. And so, you know, this challenge of connecting the supply of capital and the demand of capital has, have, has been around for a while. So how did the CFA sort of come about where you decided to look directly at climate and at climate projects? So the, the, the genesis of it really was around the time of the Paris Court back in 2015. And it really, you know, arose from my then, by then quite long experience of trying to do finance for sustainable projects in emerging markets, you know, which is a, which is a tough thing to do. So I sort of thought I'd learned some lessons. But it, it was pretty obvious that although Paris was a political triumph, that you know, nobody had really thought where the money was actually coming from to implement all of the things that had been agreed. It was also clear, I think, that despite talk of the famous 100 billion and so forth, you know, the majority of this was going to need to come from private finance sources, which typically at that point were not even present in many of these emerging markets. And thirdly, it was clear that there was, you know, really very little capacity in some of those markets in the finance sectors, not capacity in terms of core financing skills, but just capacity in terms of understanding green finance and blended finance and notions like that. And also, finally, it was clear that there, were, there wasn't really a dialogue between the three stakeholders that we've been talking about, so business, finance, and policy. So that, that was the genesis of the CFA, was to try and create a kind of methodology where we could generate you know, a kind of safe space for those three stakeholders to get together but not not in a not a theoretical safe space, but one where we were, you know, using real life projects, looking for real life money to identify real life barriers and make some real life recommendations about, you know, what 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 could be done about it. I mean, I think a lot of enabling environment programs are very top down, whereas we're working completely the opposite direction from 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 the bottom up and pretty much at the micro level because the, these these projects are typically what you call for him the missing middle. So they they you know we, we don't tend to work with very large infrastructure projects. You know, we feel that's a kind of government to government bilateral world banky type 
conversations. So we work with typically with SMEs. So the projects are in the range kind of five to 25 million, but we go as low as a million and we have gone as high as sort of 250 million. So we're very much aimed in, 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 in that kind of middle ground. I think that's one of the things that makes the CFA a bit different to many other programs because you know a lot of them really are focused on those very large projects and there's 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 very few looking at at, at that kind of SME sector. And Ian, how is the program delivered? Is it locally through through partners or are you, are you working from the UK? Well, there's a there's a core delivery team. Obviously, there's a global aspect to to this, but it's it, it the you know 90% of the actual delivery is through local partners. So we have we have a local delivery partner in each country. Another kind of critical aspect of it, and one that may interest you as government people, is the involvement of the UK government's posts in each of these territories, which has actually, we found, to be a, a fairly critical aspect of it because that's the way that we can really reach policymakers, for example, because, you know, they actually have contacts with, you know, their kind of peers in 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 in, in the host government. So that helps to open a lot of doors that probably wouldn't otherwise be be, be open to us. So we, we it, it's kind of a franchise is what we're looking to develop here. So, you know, the 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 role of the global team is is to, you know, obviously oversee the of the project, but also to actually try and spread good practice among the different delivery partners to create kind of templates of things that are successful that can be handed around, particularly as new countries kind of join the program. Um, <clears throat> but interestingly, you know, we, we think it's something that we've developed in such a way that it could actually be handed on to other governments if they were interested in, you know, you know particularly G7 type governments if they were interested in doing something similar in their own territories because obviously the UK has particular kind of spheres and regions that it's interested in and other countries may have or certainly do have other regions that, are, that they're interested in. So what we're trying to create is a, is a product that could actually be you know handed on and used by others on the basis of the kind of templates and methodologies that we've, that we've created. Just looking at this, these three groups that we talked about, the the supply of the, the demanders of capital, the suppliers of capital and policy. In each of these three groups, where do you find that there's the largest learning gap? Like what are they coming out of the accelerator? <clears throat> what have they what have they gained or what have they learned that they didn't really know before to help close that gap? So the the the, the starting point really in our minds was the projects and what we deliver to them is the usual things i guess that accelerators deliver which is trying to help them understand better you know what sources of finance sorry what types of finance they're actually looking for because quite often they they don't have a good understanding of that and they're actually looking for the wrong type of finance to what they actually need second is you know how how they structure the transaction that they're trying to put together and and show to financiers and then the the, the third one is you know how to present themselves best to to potential financiers. Kind of what what what's become more interesting is the capacity building that, that we find we're doing in the local financial sectors. Because as I said, there's no shortage of money, and there's no shortage of kind of core financing skills. What there is a shortage of is an understanding of green finance and blended finance, and also there tends to be where there's any kind of green finance going on, it tends to be very much in the renewable energy sector. 
So what we're trying to do is actually push the envelope a bit outside of that. So we're, we're trying to get into projects in transport, in waste, in smart agriculture, in water, and, you know, other sectors that are kind of new in terms of both financing techniques that are required and the, and the technologies involved. And that's actually a really interesting, I think, part of the project that we slightly weren't expecting, but I think as or we weren't expecting to be as kind of core to what we're doing as as, it, as it's turned out to be. And then I think that on, on the government side, I think the big lesson they're learning is the value of dialogue with the other two stakeholders and the fact that, you know, it, it's it's A, necessary and it's B, possible to do in a way that isn't, it doesn't create kind of conflict. It's not a kind of us and them situation, but you're actually all trying to co-create, you know, a way of getting these projects financed at much greater speed and much greater scale. So what kind of projects are applying to be part of the CFA? And can you maybe provide a few examples as to what, or if these projects are finding success? So as as I said earlier, it, it, it's mainly mainly SMEs. The, the typical project size is kind of five to twenty-five. But we we set the criteria for the calls for proposals very much based on the local context, because uh, obviously we need to bear in mind what a country's priorities are in terms of the types of sectors it wants to focus on. Typically, it's four sectors that we find that that's happening in. So it's energy, transport, agriculture and land use. And the final one is waste quite often because waste and how to deal with it in a sustainable way and actually maybe use it for climate mitigation is a huge issue in many many of the markets that we're that we're operating in. But we're also, you know, looking at, you know, we kind of quite often get projects in sectors like housing, you know, which, which clearly is another one where sustainability is, is, a, is a huge part of it. So we, we, we try not to, well, you know, we're, we're pretty much sector agnostic, but with a, with a view to, you know, what the country's priorities. In terms of their life stage, again, we get quite a broad range. Some are real kind of startups and others are more advanced and maybe have done a round or two of financing and are now looking for their first kind of main, you know, commercial financing to actually get to a growth stage. And again, within each cohort of sort of 12 to 15 projects, we try to have a bit of a range because obviously earlier stage projects are potentially more interesting to venture capital type investors and even DFIs, whereas banks and private equity are looking for projects that are slightly more advanced. But quite quite often also, we will work with major companies that are actually looking to green their product line. And that's where we actually find that the sustainability elements of the, of the CFA can become quite important. So we, we place quite a lot of emphasis on uh, what's called GESI, Gender Equality and Social Inclusion. And quite often, major companies have no problem accessing finance. What they don't understand is how they do the sort of those kind of aspects of projects, and they quite often need and value help with environmental considerations around projects as well. So, you know, we find we can kind of add value to to a pretty you know wide range of business types and sizes and life stages, because really this this is kind of you know new to almost everyone. So, you know. There's quite a lot to be done, even with larger businesses. With some of these larger businesses who might be eligible for funding from the larger DFIs, say IFC, IDB Invest, and others, 
How do you prepare them, particularly around these the Jesse that you just mentioned? How do you prepare them to put their best foot forward to secure investing? Or and how do you prepare them to mentally prepare them to say, okay, this is how long it will take? Well, actually quite quite often those businesses are not necessarily looking for help with DFI from DFIs rather, because they they, they quite often have kind of, you know, commercial banking relationships of, of their own. It's, it's actually from their own point of view, they're trying to understand these issues better because I mean, they, 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 they realize that you, you know, you can't go down this kind of brown or gray path anymore. You mm-hmm. have to go down a, a green path. And they actually, you know, don't really understand what, what even, even the questions that they should be asking themselves often. So I think, you know, those are the ways that we can really help. By the way, you you asked about success stories and so forth. I mean, just a few numbers. We've issued 10 calls for proposals now, and we've had close to 700 projects have answered. We're working, or we've been working with about 90 projects thus far. And those, if I recall correctly, about $3 billion, or that's the finance that they're looking for. And so far, we think we've helped six of those projects to raise about $200 million. Now, the important thing to note here is that the CFA has only been up and running kind of fully for about a year and a half. And these projects typically take 18 to 24 months at least to actually get off the ground. So we, we would hope that the, the the actual kind of deals done number would start to, 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 to rise quite quickly. But I think the, the 700 projects odd, you know, responding to 10 calls for proposals just demonstrates the demand there is out there for this type of capacity building support. And those those projects are worth about, about 60 billion. So, you know, there's a lot of projects looking for quite a lot of money out there that need, that need capacity building support. So the more people that can provide it, programs like the CFA, the better because there's certainly, there's certainly a lot of demand out there. Just sort of going back to, to the Jesse element to it, I, I wanted to, to ask you about sustainability, because I know that's the core of your approach. Can you talk about how you integrate sustainability into the design? That's a tough question to answer because it's really different for every project. But what we try to do is is give projects kind of one-to-one kind of help with that. So we can actually look at their specific project and see, you know, where, where, where the potential difficulties are and what the potential solutions are but there's really really no one size fits all with that because in a in a country like south africa you know the equality issue is very strong the gender issue may be less strong in other countries the gender issue may be very very strong because there's no history of women being involved in workplaces or whatever it may be and then you know social inclusion you know, also has a wide range of kind of parameters attached to it. I think the the important thing is that we're we're asking the questions and we're demonstrating to projects that if they want to get finance, particularly from impact investors and DFIs, then they need to have they need to have answers to to to, to the questions. But I think it's also eye opening for them because I think a lot of projects suddenly realise that actually, yeah, if we if we include women in our workforce, we're going to get these additional benefits. If we think about the social inclusion aspects, then, you know, our customer base may become different and wider and so forth. So, it, it, you know, I, I think the value is as much to them understanding, you know, what a sustainable business in, you know, a green world looks like, because quite often they, they you know, just haven't even gone down those, those kind of avenues. They've been thinking in very straight lines, but just sort of hoping that, 
something called that 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 what they think they were doing is something somehow going to fit into a green finance pathway. So when it comes to investors and also companies that are applying to this program, I get the sense that based on the country of interest that you're looking at, that's where the projects need to be taking place. But the investors, they could be local, but they could be international as well or, or multilateral and, and companies as well. Um, do they need to be based in that specific country in order to apply and, and move forward with their application? Well, actually, we find that a lot of the projects, actually, particularly ones where newer technologies are being brought in, will be local partners of international firms. So, for, for example, you know, things like uh, solar thermal and so on, not technologies that are well understood, but but you know they are they have been implemented in developed countries for quite a long time, and so the technologies exist. They just need to be brought into these countries. So we do quite often see partnerships between foreign companies and local partners. And one of the things that we're kind of edging into exploring a bit more, and you know, in, in the UK context, talking more to UK the UK trade finance people who you know again. You know, haven't in, in in the past really had to take a kind of green view of things. You know, they've had a set of technologies which people come to them with, kind of thing. But I think now they're also starting to rethink. You know, how they actually green their own portfolios of guarantees and trade credit and so forth. So th that kind of side of things is also, I think, beginning to open up. But yeah, I mean, there's there's. Uh, definitely opportunities for people in you know, companies in developed countries with good green technologies to look for partners in many of these countries. I mean, you know, there are the regulatory and tariff issues and all the rest of it, but but there are definitely markets there and, there, you know, there's definitely opportunities. Great. So for, for all our Canadian companies that are listening, they should certainly take note of of what the CFA could potentially offer when it comes to capacity building and, and technical assistance. And actually, on that note, I've been informed that you have a, a conference coming up in, in London, I believe, in, in March. And maybe you could explain a little bit more about what that event will be and, and who maybe the, the main audience is and what the objectives are of it. Yeah, so as I said, you know, the, the vast bulk of the CFA is delivered locally and is, is is trying to build capacity in local markets. There are a sort of subset of projects that we're working with, which are probably of interest to international investors. So we plan starting in March next year to have an event in London every year where we'll bring us a subset of those projects, which are probably going to be larger and, than, you know, the typical CFA project and a bit better developed and put those in front of financiers based in London and interested in opportunities in in the, the markets that we're, that we're working with. But, you know, we'll use very much the same capacity building techniques and we'll finish off with a big, you know, a, a set of workshops in London where, again, we'll bring relevant teams of financiers together and we'll also be looking to involve policymakers in the UK. And... Um, and then to present the results to, to the London markets more widely in big events on the final day where the projects will be so we can talk about them and about what we've learned and where the opportunities in the markets that we're dealing with may lie for London-based investors. So any, any overall thoughts on the outcomes of, of COP? 
we really do need to try and move this, I think, to the nuts and bolts of how you get money, how, how you, you know, how, how, how countries identify the strategies that they need, the technologies that they need to implement their NDCs and their and their green development policies. You know, what what are the projects that then flow out of that? The projects and businesses that you need to implement those strategies, and then how do you finance those projects and businesses? And you know, I I think everyone just needs to now focus in on getting that you know kind of investment chain working from identifying good projects mm-hmm. and businesses, getting them through a development phase, getting them to a financing phase, and then getting them built and, and, and operating. And, you know, that that's that's the notion that the CFA is built around, that notion of, of an investment chain. And we all just need to get much more systematic about how we look at that chain. We, you know, we have to completely change the mindset, I think, of, you know, the kind of West Coast American venture capital idea of how projects get financed, you know, the, the, a thousand people come up with 10,000 good ideas and two of them work because, you know, we just don't have time to do that. A, you know, we're, we're, we're not looking for the new Facebooks and so on of, of the world. We're looking for solid climate mitigating businesses and projects that we can roll out, you know, in a cookie cutter kind of way in as many countries as we can as quickly as we can and as efficiently as we can so mm-hmm. i think yeah we, yeah we do we do, do everyone just needs to change their thinking about how projects get identified and developed and, and financed in in the most pragmatic ways possible and that's that you know that's the focus of our efforts but also the kind of methodology that we're trying to put out for people to think about thank you ian for all your insights and sharing about the work that you do with CFA. It's great to learn about a program that is addressing some of the most important challenges, looking at the supply and demand of capital. And perhaps it's not the most sexiest part of, of climate, but I think it's, it's, it's a really important part of climate finance. So I encourage anyone within our TCS network who wants to learn more about the CFA program to reach out to, to Rachel, who, who can connect you with Ian and other more of your colleagues. And uh, thank you all to our listeners for your support. Please feel free to share this podcast with your colleagues on social media, share your comments, and most importantly, please rate us. And rate us one, two, three, four, or five. That feedback is really important to us and helps us get the visibility we need and lets us know if we need to uh, improve. So we have a bunch of episodes coming up. We look forward to sharing those with you soon. But in the meantime, thank you. And just wanted to close by saying the Understanding Climate Finance podcast is a production of the Embassy of Canada in Washington, D.C. So thank you, Ian. Thank you, Rachel. And I'll see you soon.